0: This is Transistor.fm.
1: Imagine this. You sell your web consultancy and give yourself one year to build a product. You decide to do everything by the book. You're going to validate this idea and use the lean startup methodology to build it. Well, this is exactly what Dan Norris of Informly and WP Curve did this past year. This is part one of my chat with him. Keep listening to find out what happens next. This show would not be possible without some really generous sponsors. Every time you visit a sponsor uh, or thank them on Twitter, you really help the show out. So if you've got some time, go and check out these guys on the web. Sign up for an account and give them uh, some thanks on Twitter. The hardest part about online advertising is figuring out what works. No Ads reveals your competitors' campaigns, showing you exactly what's working for them. You get to see their successful ad copy and ad placements, keywords, and more. Go to productpeople.tv/ads and sign up for a No Ads account. If you're trying to set up an online store you need to use shopify i've tried setting up dozens of online stores for clients and there's always so many headaches payment gateways multiple currencies taxes shipping rates it's just a mess shopify solves all these problems for you it's well worth it to sign up for an account go to productpeople.tv slash shopify s-h-o-p-i-f-y and get a 14 day free trial And Sprintly's been there from the beginning, perfect for teams of three or more people. Sprintly is the easiest way for managers and developers to track the software development process. You and your team can try Sprintly for free by going to www.sprint.ly. When you're ready to sign up for an account, I'll get you 10% off. Just use the code productpeopletv 2013 Hi, I'm Justin, and this is Product People, the podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. And today, I'm joined by Dan Norris, the founder of Informally and WP Curve. Dan, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Justin. You're like a full pro with those intros. Were you like a TV presenter before you were a podcaster? Uh,
1: (laughs) Not, no, you know, but I always like talk radio, so maybe that's where it came from. Yeah, I've done like 50 podcast episodes, and I don't sound anything like that. Well, you know, you know what you have going for you is, the, is for anyone in America, your accent is going to sound exotic.
0: Yeah, I, I try to record them in the morning, especially when I've got a cold, so I sound more like Russell Crowe. <laughs>
1: that's, that's, that's a good technique. That's exactly what you want to do. <laughs> what, what's the name of your podcast? Web uh, Web Domination web domination. We'll put that in the show notes. So Dan, why don't we start off by um, maybe just telling us a little bit about yourself. Where where do you live and how did you get into building stuff on the web? All righty. So, so I listened to
0: the Dan Martell one. Do you want me to tell you lots of stories about how I've been arrested and shit like that? Or... <laughs> 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 please, please, let's skip, skip over that.
1: Sure, sure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm in the Gold Coast in Australia. Um, I grew up in Brisbane in a place called Logan, which is like, it sounds like bogan, and there's a reason for that, because it's like full of bogans. Um, it's like world renowned for being full of bogans, and, and for um, creating Savage Garden, which is kind of weird.
1: What is it? What's a bogan?
0: Oh, you don't know what a bogan is? Like a, like a redneck? <laughs>
1: Do you have rednecks there? Yeah, we have rednecks. I've never heard that term, Bogan. (laughs) Well, maybe it's it's actually,
0: it's like named after Logan. Maybe it's like it actually only exists here. I don't know. (laughs) I
1: I just looked it up and it said the term Bogan is an Australian and New Zealand slang for (laughs) an individual who's recognized to be from an unsophisticated background. (laughs) That's it. That's funny. Well, they
0: could have just said an individual who's recognized to be from Logan.
1: So you're from a redneck town.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then um, after after I migrated from Logan, um, I uh, we uh, we moved to the inner city, but then I ended up moving back to another redneck town. So I couldn't I couldn't get away from them. But, um, <laughs> Yeah. At, at, at the moment, I'm on the Gold Coast because I like the beach. And um, I've so my, my background is I've actually I started doing human resources, believe it or not. Okay, which is really weird because i'm because I'm not a people person, but um, <laughs> the only reason I did it was because I failed marketing, and they have a they have a rule in university here where if you like fail your major, like if you fail a subject that's your major, you can't keep doing that major really um, which is which is harsh yeah well you, well you can keep doing it, but you have to repeat the subject, whereas if you change majors, you can keep keep that failure as like a completed pass, like a conceded pass.
1: Huh. So, what? Why? Why do you think you failed marketing? Was it that you just did, didn't like it, or what was behind that? Uh,
0: I, I think I was just I was just totally clueless going into university. I was just lost and just I, I failed everything. I, th- I think I went from like in the first year of university, I pretty much failed everything except for my human resources subject, just because it was so easy, and I just yeah. had to get a book and like read about it and um and yeah, and then by the end I was like I, I somehow worked it all out and and um I was getting really good marks. But yeah, the first semester I just screwed everything up and so so screwing marketing meant that I had to either repeat the subject or change majors and obviously I'm not going to repeat the subject, screw that, so I changed majors. Um, and so I did human resources for a little while and then eventually just kind of worked, forced my way into like more technical stuff because I was just bored with HR stuff um, and I worked for a big company over here and basically got into e-learning like pretty early on. Um, so this is probably like, oh, how many years ago is this? It's probably like seven or eight years ago, nine years ago. Um, and we were sort of pioneering some like e-learning type stuff. So that was pretty exciting to me, much much more exciting than talking to people. And was this, um, e-learn-
1: was this e-learning on the web?
0: Yeah. It w- I mean, it was all internal. Like the company had like 15,000 people. So they had an internal system. So none of it was like public facing stuff. It was all like intranet. But um, this was sort of in Australia. Like this really wasn't happening that much at the time. Like it was pretty new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were building. We were building some pretty cool stuff. Uh, things like it was, it was a, a train company. So we're building like how to how to identify bombs on trains and stuff like that, and making it really interactive. It was all Flash based, and you navigate around and find find the bombs on the trains and that kind of stuff. Oh, wow.
1: um, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it was cool it was it was cool, so it was fun um but yeah i I just kind of get bored after a while doing things so eventually, I just left and started my own business probably six or seven seven years ago doing web
1: design um, and had you always been I, I just, doing web design like is that something that you were always interested in, or is that something you just started doing uh seven or eight years ago?
0: yeah, I actually started doing it the day after I started the business.
1: <laughs> so you just decided you just decided the web looked interesting, decided to go start a company, and then you just had to start teaching yourself.
0: Yeah, that's it. I bought I bought those um you know those Sam's Teach Yourself books. Yeah. So I, I bought like the the Sam's Teach Yourself JavaScript in twenty four hours, and I thought they meant actual twenty four hours. So I <laughs> sat there for twenty four hours learning JavaScript.
1: <laughs> um, what was it about the web that attracted you?
0: I don't know really. I, I think it was just like, I think it was just so cool. I think like when I was working in the government, like there was like normal people and then there was programmers and there was, and they were, and they're like, the program was like these elite people that like, like one of them was t- so totally useless. Like he didn't do anything and, and he never got fired because he just had these skills that other people didn't have. Like it didn't matter if you worked one hour a month, no one else could do that work. And um, so I was just like, man, I've got to learn some of this shit. And um, so, yeah, and just, just getting like those books and like getting like the PHP MySQL one and doing like the Hello World thing in the database, I'm like, man, this is just so exciting. So I think, I don't know what it, what it is about it. I, don't, I mean, I don't code anymore, but it was just something exciting about doing something that was like sort of like magical. It was like, I don't even know how these people do this stuff, but it is just a case of picking up a
1: book and learning how to do it. Yeah. And so you wanted to figure this out. And but you you know, you were learning this quite late in life, right? This is, you know, you've already gone to school and you've already started your, you know, your professional life and then you decide to teach yourself, were you primarily teaching yourself JavaScript? Is that what you were doing?
0: I, I taught myself whatever I needed to learn at the time. That seems to be the only way I learn is, is when I need to learn something. Like my first project was, um, well, my first, like, non, like, plain HTML project like a project where the client actually wanted something other than what I was telling them they wanted. And I was clueless. I'm just like, here's a website. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, no, we, no we, we want a CMS. And I'm like, sure, no worries. So I go home, Google CMS. I didn't know, even know what it was. Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah, we want it to be built in. And, and so I like doing all my research. I'm like, oh, cool, awesome. I'm going to I'm gonna do Joomla because I think Joomla was just coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've gone back to him. Yeah, let's do this. I've, I've got this Joomla system that I can show you. And he's like, no, I want it to be an ASP. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> So go out, get the get the book on ASP. Yeah, I can build that for you. No worries. And so yeah, so that's that's kind of how I learned
1: early on. No way. Like you taught yourself ASP?
0: Yeah, I mean enough enough to be like able to build the crappiest, m- most simple CMS possible. Huh.
1: And so you're doing client work, basically building websites for people. At at what point? Did you start getting interested in building products, or, or even realize that you could build products on the web? Well,
0: b- before I started my business, we actually built at at the railway. We built a project management system, and it was web based. But I didn't build it myself. I just I was kind of like lumped with the project, and they gave me a developer who was getting paid like a crazy amount of money per hour and he was pretty much just working for me and he was just, I'm just like do this and he's doing that it was it was like right when dot net started coming out hmm. um and so we built this performance management system which was well before like it, the major vendors were doing it um and it was a huge project it, they spent uh, so much money on this thing i can't even begin to imagine how much money it cost um but it was i was working on it for pretty much a year with a full-time developer and um so that was that was like the most exciting thing about that job. It was just like building this thing that didn't exist. So I was just addicted to building things.
1: Yeah, and and you were kind of like the product manager for that that product. You had a developer, and you're basically working him through the process. Is that like working with him through the process?
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that was. But I had absolutely no IT background, or there was no such thing as product managers then, as, at least not not in this company. Yeah. Um, so it was it was like. It was basically just like, yeah, Dan kind of likes computers, like get him to do the project system. And I think they were thinking like they would build a tool where you could press upload and upload a PDF of your performance report. But we built like this entire system where people could create goals and review their performance and sit down with their manager and agree, like negotiate back and forward on their performance rating and run reports for senior management and like the whole management hierarchy. We just went to town on
1: this thing. Wow. And and did that product actually ship? It it did, but it was eventually replaced. And um,
0: when it was replaced, I think it's been replaced quite a few times since. But a, a Saba, who were doing the learning management system, brought out a performance management product, and like Saba was was the railways' performance management product. So as soon as that came out, they pretty much wiped ours out. And then I think they've upgraded to SAP since then, and SAP pretty much wiped the Saba one out. So. Um, it was live for a, for a couple of years, yeah.
1: Yeah, but you had the experience of working on something in a large company and actually shipping it, which is quite unusual.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we made so many mistakes on that thing. It was like if you made those kind of mistakes in your own business, like I'm sure if if you got the job of building something like what we built for this type of company now, like it would it would probably be a multi million dollar job. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big big project to get all the managers. You know, but back then it was just like us tinkering stuff. We weren't even in IT. Like we were in learning and development and we got this programmer in. Like we were even pissing off IT because we weren't even supposed to build our own stuff.
1: So what was it about that? Was there something about that that gave you a vision for, like I could build my own stuff and and sell it on the web? Like was that where you realized you could do that?
0: No, No, I don't think so. I think it was more just the fact that, uh, and I didn't really realize this until later, but it's just I just love creating things, mm-hmm. and I think it's as simple as that. It was just the fact that like that part of my job enabled me to literally invent something out of thin air. Like I was going home, actually had had the job of building the e-learning training for the software before we built the software. Like at the same time as building the software, mm-hmm. so this was before before like the sc- screen simulation, um, camtasia, and all that kind of software. Um, so, like, I was going home and mocking up screenshots of what the software might look like in Fireworks and then sending them to the developer to do the flash, like, simulation of how to use the software. Huh. Um, so it was just, like, the most exciting thing, just creating this stuff from scratch.
1: Yeah. So you're trucking along with your own web consultancy. And I want to know, how, how do you get from running this consultancy to your first product informally? How did that happen?
0: Yeah. So – um. Basically, from very early on running the consultancy, I sort of figured out that I be- became pretty much useless to clients after I'd built their website. Um, they, I mean, when I first started out, I didn't really have any way of doing any recurring services. Eventually, I kind of built in a whole bunch of recurring services. But at the start, I'm like, well, what am I actually going to do for these clients each month to make sure that I'm still relevant to them and I can still make money, you know, every month? Um, so I started doing manual reports and just like literally logging into AW Stats and copying down their stats and writing in a comment and sending them a Word document. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and eventually that just grew. I mean, I went from that to hiring an assistant to do it for me, which took a long time and had a lot of errors. And then I hired someone on Odesk to build like an automated version of it or a very, very dodgy automated version of it. And I think by the end of running that company, I really, really just wanted to spend more time building stuff and create that kind of company that I could scale a bit more and I had a number of different ideas I could run with and that seemed to be the best of the bunch so i, I decided
1: to run with that and turn it into a product that other people could use
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and had you like were there other products that you were using did you have a like a, a vision for you know other web-based products already
0: I I had a a lot of different ideas um, about what I would work on and I sort of thought that I was going to work on like three or four things and then just pick whichever one worked Mm -hmm. um, which I think would have been a bad idea. I sort of started to do that and and I know a lot of the people on your program sort of have done that or or they've just kept running their sort of web business and um, done a product on the side Mm -hmm. but I tried that and it just didn't work for me like I just couldn't focus on what I wanted to focus on and I just kept getting dragged into the web business. It probably wasn't really profitable enough for me to be spending all of my time building products. Yeah. Um, so I sort of battled for a little while to work out how I was going to make it work and I, I sort of built it and sort of tried to launch it and it, it, just, it just wasn't going to happen if I wasn't going to focus on it completely. So I ended up just deciding to sell the web design business and just go for it full time. And when was that? It was a year ago, so it was July 2012, um, and I, I had the intention of building like an analytics dashboard for just general business owners, and that's how. It, and and then eventually I would turn on the agency version, which was sort of what I built internally. Although we had to pretty much rebuild everything from scratch.
1: So one year ago, you decided to sell your web consultancy and go full hog. On building products, and yeah, um, and how long? So, how long did it take you to build the original, the initial version of Informally Once you made that decision,
0: um, well, I sort of had a little bit to start with, and I had it. Probably took me three months. I, I did a whole bunch of content. And I got a whole bunch of people signed up to my email list, and while doing that, I, w- I had a bit of a beta that I had some people playing around with. It. It probably took me. Um, three or four months to actually get a product that could be used, and then uh, let me think. See, I, I launched it in December, so it would have taken me. I think I started August, so August, September, October. Yeah, so it took me about four months before I had a, a, a product
1: that was launched to the public. Okay, and so what, how are you supporting yourself during that four months if you, you know, you weren't doing web, uh, the web consulting work anymore?
0: with the money that I made from that business. So I basically, I I made made enough money to give me about a year to work on another business. So I just decided that I would make it work within a year or else I would crash and burn.
1: Gotcha. So you sold the other business. There's enough money there that you said, you know what, I'm just going to focus completely on building uh, products. I've got a year of runway. Here we go.
0: Yeah. Although I'd never actually built a product that someone had paid me for before, so um, it was it was probably a little bit I don't know. It, it's probably just how I do things, but like I couldn't really fully commit to it unless I like totally burned the bridges and just just went for it full on.
1: And like, what did like the people around around you like your your family and friends? What were they saying? Did they think you were crazy? Or they what did they think about it? Well, I don't
0: this? have friends, <laughs>
1: um. <laughs> so that helps. It's, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um and no um, well I've got a very, very, very supportive wife. Um and she knew I was crazy before she met me. So that works out well. Um, <laughs> and
1: well, people, take, people take around me, me through, I mean take me through that conversation with your wife. Like you go, probably you go to, her, not to. <laughs> you, you 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 go to her and you say, I'm gonna sell my web consulting business and I'm gonna try this crazy thing that I've never tried before.
0: I'm going to sell our web consulting business. <laughs> gotcha.
1: Is she? Does she work yeah. with you?
0: No, 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 no. We met. We met at work. Um, but she she's got her own job, and thankfully she makes money. So, um, it it yeah. I mean, I think she knew I wasn't happy running that business because I was. It was frustrating me. I like, it's kind of hard to run a business by yourself, and I I try to back myself with everything, but at the same time, it's it's kind of hard to have all the skills you need as an individual founder to make a business work Mm -hmm. and that kind of business is particularly tricky because there's so much competition and you really need to be a good sort of face-to-face salesperson and have a good team who can deliver behind you and I was more like the team that could deliver but not so much the face-to-face salesperson Mm -hmm. Um, and I tried to work around that a lot. Um, I built a website um, that actually bought originally but I turned it into a blog that was ranking number one in Australia for website design. And number three for web design, I was getting loads of traffic, and I was getting probably you know almost a lead a day from that um and I did a whole bunch of other stuff that sort of meant that I could try to run this business without spending all time all my day out out selling mm-hmm. um, but in in the end, I just wasn't able to grow it I, I wasn't really able to get it to be profitable enough to kind of scale it, and that was frustrating the shit out of me mm-hmm. and um so the decision was basically. I, I tried. I gave myself, you know, a final kind of six months, and thought I'm, I'm going to have another crack at this. Give myself six months to get this right, and after six months, it was really just doing the same as what it was before. So the, the decision was
1: made. Interesting. Okay, so you, you and you've already had some experience before you launched your first product. You had some experience with content marketing, obviously. Um. Well, I mean, if you're ranking if you're ranking number 1 for web design in Australia.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, but before I bought that site, it was basically just a one-page sales page and I over the course of about 2 years I turned it into a blog and I wrote probably 100 150 posts and you know started building a following on Twitter and and you know creating creating loads of stuff. I created like 6 or 7 ebooks and all sorts of stuff on that site. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that was probably over the course of about two years prior to
1: starting informally. Okay. So, and actually, at this point, we should probably briefly describe what does informally do? What is it? Right.
0: Well, it's changed a few times since I launched it. But it, what it does right now is exactly what the original idea was, which was how I was using it for my agency, which is an agency signs up, they connect to Google Analytics, it brings in all of their clients, and then it creates nice-looking reports with their logo, and it sends those reports to their clients every month. And so, I mean, it basically keeps you as an agency owner, you know, fresh in the minds of your clients. It it brands the reports for you. It creates charts that are really simple for clients to understand. So it doesn't give you like a 15-page confusing report that a small business owner is not going to have any clue what, what it means. Mm-hmm. It's like really, really simple charts. And um, clients are using it generally as part of like a retainer package. So how I was using it was I had a support program. And as part of that, they'll get a monthly report. And so clients can can more or less make money, you know, building recurring services and using Informly to kind of educate
1: and update their clients each month. And what was the initial version that you released after four months of building? What was the initial version of Informly?
0: The initial version was was not not the agency version. It was direct to business. So as a business owner, you could log in and you could connect a whole bunch of different services. Like, I think I... Connected with about thirteen different services, um, you know, zero, Mailchimp, Google Analytics, Google Rankings, Pingdom, Site Uptime, all of these kind of services, um, uh, and you could create a dashboard with like simple charts from all of those services.
1: So you you launch after building this initial version four months in to your one year, you know, your one year runway. What happens? How many people signed up? What what happened after you launched?
0: All right, well. I'm going to do the short version of this because the, the the long version is going to take too long. But the short version is I I screwed up with payments in a bad way. So I was I was really keen to make the payment process as simple as possible and setting up a, I wanted to take US dollars because I knew that my customers weren't just going to be in Australia. Um, and setting that up in Australia is a real pain in the ass and it requires getting like US merchant accounts and all this kind of crap. Um, and I couldn't use PayPal because the way my company was structured. Um. So it took me a long time before I put up a payment button up there and I had, I think I probably had about 4,000 sign-ups, free sign-ups before I even put up a payment button. Okay. And yeah, and when, and when I put up the payment button, I mean, basically no one signed up. I had i had probably, I mean, eventually I got to like 20 customers, but I think like in the first week I had like one.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And it so- was horrible. So and and Stripe isn't in Australia, is that right? No. Man, so there's some challenges with doing some doing this in Australia. Did, had were you connected with any of the other startups in Australia?
0: Um, not. I mean, I, I've I've got some sort of connection to the local startup scene, but where I am, it's there's not like a whole lot going on. We're just sort of trying to kick it all off. But mm-hmm. um, I mean the the. The, the way it's done is it's, it can be done quite easily with PayPal, but just the way my company was structured, I, I couldn't use PayPal at the time, and I've since restructured the company so I can use PayPal because it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, there's there's gateways like Braintree and um, eWay, which are which I use Braintree. set all that up, but it, it ends up being very expensive. At one point, I was paying $250 a month in bank fees, and I was only making $600 a month. Nice. It was, it was insane. So, so, so like they only really work. If you've got three bank accounts, essentially, a U.S bank account, an Australian bank account with the merchant who has the gateway, then you're paying the gateway fees, and then I've got another bank account for my normal business. It was just a bloody mess. So I ended up canning it and just putting a paypal button up there, but it took me like a long time to do that.
1: How, how long did it take you from launch to getting that button up?
0: It took me about six months.
1: Wow. So, okay. no,
0: sorry. Fr- so, from from when I started, so it was it was in about um, it was in
1: sometime in January, I think, when I actually allowed people to pay for it. So, about two months after you launched. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and and you said you had four thousand signups. Yeah. Like four thousand signups on launch. I had about a thousand. Um, that
0: that. So when I first started, I think before I went full-time, I just kind of put it out there and and put an email sign-up on there. I think I had about a 1,000 who actually signed up to try it back then before I closed it to actually work on it full-time. And then I had about a 1,000 sign-up to the email opt-in that I had on the site. So that was about 2,000. And then when I launched, I had, I think, a 1,000 of those. It got a a bit of coverage. It got, like, coverage on the Next Web and um, a whole bunch of other sites covered it. And I was doing... I was doing all kinds of shit. Like I had I had like 15 different traffic strategies. I was trying. I was guest posting everywhere. One day I wrote 13 blog posts on my own blog. I was just creating an insane amount of content and building up a lot of noise, um, doing podcasts and interviewing people and all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. I told you this before, but where I first heard about you was on uh, Jason Calacanis' show, This Week in Startups. You called in. And I was like, a, you know, Ask Jason or something like that. And I, I remember that, you calling in and asking about the name informally.
0: Yeah, I've had a shower since then. I was like looking <laughs> extra homeless on that because I was, I was actually about to fly out overseas um, like that morning. And he, they sent a thing out the day before saying, oh, we're doing this Ask Jason show. And I'm like a massive J. Cal fan. So I'm like, I'm, I'm doing that shit. I've got to be on that show. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I pretty much made up, I pretty much made up a reason to be on there. Like I was thinking of changing the name, and I'm like, oh, I might as well just ask him about the name because I had called it Web Control Room originally. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, ah, oh, thinking about changing the name, and so I thought, yeah, I'll ask him that question, see if he wants to answer that. And I actually emailed him. I, I'd emailed him uh, probably six months prior and, and given him something. Like he put something out on Twitter saying, oh, I want a list of ways to market my app, and I'm like, oh, here's a list of 500 app websites or something that I'd gotten a hold of. So I mentioned that in an email and said, oh, you know, I chatted to Jason a few months ago and I'm keen to chat to him again about the name change. And Kieran's like, yeah, cool. That sounds like a good idea. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's it. so this is probably a good time to bring up this blog post you just wrote. Uh, is startup validation bullshit? Uh, because I think people watching you would say, this guy's doing everything right. Like he built up this big pre-launch email list he had a thousand signups on launch he's writing all this content he's got you know all these different content channels you know you're, you're getting on this week in startups and people are hearing about informally they know what it is so talk to us about maybe go through your your this blog post is startup validation bullshit. What did you discover in that year of building and launching informally that then made you write that post?
0: Well, it was more the bottle of wine
1: I drank before writing it that made <laughs> <write> it. <laughs> That's it, when you do the best writing.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh man. Well, I, I mean, honestly, it, a, a part of it is just everything you read everywhere anyway. Like it's it's basically just. You know, getting a customer, and not focusing on vanity metrics, and um, you know, I mean, not focusing too much on the product, instead getting out of the building. It's all that lean startup shit, and I, I, I don't think I did do enough of that. Like I did, I I did focus on building the product, and I did focus on marketing in that I was getting a lot of noise on my site, but I didn't focus enough on whether or not I was building something that people wanted to pay for it but but as I said in that post it's 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 a hard thing to validate like with this with new business wp curve that we've started mm-hmm. like we after 3 weeks we it's making more money than informally was after a year and it's it, it's so easy to validate like i came up with the idea and 3 days later i had a company um with software it's so much harder it sounds easy like when you read it in the books but it's very very hard to really know whether someone wants to pay for your software product. And I've, I've read all of the posts, and you can see that in that post that I wrote. Um, and I've discussed this with people on Mastermind calls and stuff, and it's just it's just not as simple as people think. It's You, you can't put up a shitty piece of software and expect people are going to pay for it.
1: Yeah. I love this perspective. Like, I think this is a really healthy kind of counterbalance to, um, you know, a lot of what we've been reading and thinking about in the last couple of years with the lean startup movement. So after a year, you only had 15 paying customers for Informally at $9 a month.
0: Yeah, well, I I did launch the agency version um, probably after six months or so. And after a year, I probably had about 20 customers each. Um, And it became pretty obvious to me that I was putting all of my work into the normal version and hardly any work into the agency version. And I was making 70, 80% revenue on the agency side and 20% on the B2B side. Um, and so, and I, I did make a bunch of decisions very quickly that, you know, people might say I would made the dec- decisions too quickly. But I decided to completely scrap the, the original version of the product and just focus on the agencies. And how much do you make off agencies? well it's still it's still not a lot. I think it's probably still only like seven hundred bucks a month because it's I've probably got like let me think it, it, i mean it's only been a, it's only been a couple of months since I just started focusing only on agencies and I actually literally like culled the other version of the product which meant getting rid of uh, two thirds of my customers, which was <laughs> kind of a hard thing to do and yeah yeah you kind of second guess your decision when you're not making a lot of money and you get rid of two thirds of your customers but um yeah, the, the the agency stuff is growing, um, but it's it's not growing as fast as I hoped it would. And it's also I I, thought of, I sort of came to the conclusion that like I could do my content and get people to the site and make some noise, but to sell to agencies you need to sell, and that's that sort of leads us on to finding a co founder and stuff. Yeah. In the next business, I guess. But but yeah, yeah. I, I, in the short story, I wasn't making enough to cover costs. I think. Um, Three weeks ago or so, I was still, you know, spending about fifteen hundred dollars a month and making about six hundred or something. So I was nowhere near covering costs, and I was a few weeks away from the end of my runway.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna get into your new business and kind of what you're doing with WP Curve in part two. Um, and Dude, how I, many I, parts has this got? Th- well, this is part one right now um but i think this is a really kind of salient point and i i we've had this experience too with the software company i'm at uh where i'm a product manager we made the decision we had a low a low cost um, kind of um, you know self-serve version of our software that was $19 a month and then we had a higher value uh version of the software which was essentially just more support for a hundred dollars a month and you notice really quickly there's very different customers that go into those two spaces and so like at the nineteen dollars a month we had a lot of like really small businesses Um, and at the hundred dollars a month we had you know bigger organizations with bigger budgets and we noticed that it eighty percent of our time was spent serving these nineteen dollar a month customers um, but 80% of our revenue is coming from these $100 a month customers and i think people don't always realize that that you know you can you can build a product that's 9 bucks a month but it might be an enormous amount of work to get them and then an enormous amount of work to serve them
0: yeah i i mean to, to be honest i think people realize that because that's a that's a common message but the question is what do you do about it do, do you keep those customers and and just accept it or do you Scrap them, and yeah. um, f- focus on the higher level customer, yeah, and, and it's a tough decision because I kind of started out with a vision of helping out entrepreneurs and you know helping them sort of better understand analytics and that kind of thing, and I sort of had to just accept that like that's nice, but I just it, I just wasn't going to be able to make money off it,
1: yeah, and that's that's tough too, when sometimes you have a bigger kind of vision for you know how you want to improve the world and then realizing that, you, yeah, you can't, you can't make money doing it.
0: Yeah, I don't like compromising, but, I, I mean, I'm, as I get older, I kind of start to realize that you, you do have to compromise
1: a little bit sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is so interesting. I, I'm just trying to, to close this part off. Just just
0: a couple of other points on that. I, I feel like I did enough with that version of product to be pretty damn sure that it didn't have legs. I mean, I, I had fourth Thousand sign ups and only about 15 customers, so the conversion ratio was horrible. I tried going from freemium to free trial. So um, originally it was freemium, you could have ten, uh, six charts for free, and if you wanted more than that, you have to pay. But no one paid, so I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll try to just do paid only, but I'll do like a cheap yearly plan. So I did like 50 bucks a year, didn't matter. Um, I did free trial and like just paid only, so even even current free users, I kick, I kick them off, which, which is not a nice thing to do. But I'm like, I, I need to figure out how to make money off this effing business. Yeah. Um, but that didn't work either. I just still had a horrible conversion rate, and you know, I set up automated sequences and I set up Kissmetrics, and I mean, I, I did. I, I think I did most things right in that aspect of it. Yeah. I and mean, it wasn't a perfect product, but I, I think at the end of the day, it, it's going to be a very, very difficult product to build as a solo founder when there's big companies, when it's like gecko board, who've got these dashboards that are so sophisticated. Like I was trying to make a simpler version for people, but I think, I think it was just too big a task to do that profitably
1: as a solo founder. Yeah. What's interesting about this is that I think I could see how you could validate that business. Like you could go to a small business person and say, you know, I'm going to bring in all these complicated stats and I'm going to present them to you in a really simple way. And um, you're going to get kind of just what you need in this one dashboard. Uh, I, I can see it just sounds like a good idea. And even yeah, Jason Calacanis. And, and, I, even did, Jason and, and Calif- I said it was a good idea. Sorry?
0: Yeah. As you say, Jason Calacanis thought it was an awesome idea. I mean, I did that. I, I, I spoke to heaps of people. I had heaps of people telling me how much of a good idea it was. And, I like, I wrote some of this stuff down. I had, like, quotes from people and unsolicited testimonial I've never had anything like that with my other business like it was people saying this is an awesome solution you know you're solving a problem that we face every day and like stuff like that would come in all the time like to me the validation from that point of view of actually asking people what they want was there but it's like the Steve Jobs thing where it, the, what what you're asking people is or what they tell you is totally different to what they do and and that's why you need to get customers and get them paying and it was a big shock to to go from me just thinking this is going to crush it to no one signing up, you know, virtually no one. Um, so yeah, I mean, the asking people thing is a crock. It's, it's a waste of time.
1: Interesting. So in part two, we're going to, we're going to talk about how you went from this experience to your new business and, and how you did it differently. My name is Justin Jackson, and I do the show every week, but I don't necessarily know who you are. I want to hear from you why you're listening, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. You can get me on Twitter at mijustin, or you can email the show at productpeople at bizbox.ca. You can also follow the show on Twitter at productpeopletv. The best way to join the Product People community is to join our email newsletter list. You can get there by going to productpeople.tv/newsletter. Please check out our sponsors, no ads, go to productpeople.tv/ads. Shopify, go to productpeople.tv/shopify, and Sprintly, go to www.sprint.ly. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm Justin and get 15% off your first year.